Okay, we're going to begin tonight on page 13 in our study this evening. Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray. Father, we want to commit tonight's study to thee. This is certainly a very serious, serious study, as all studies are, but this particular one, Lord, dealing with a real hell, it just ratchets up everything to a very high level because this truly is the destiny of where many, many people are tonight and where many people are headed. I pray that as this study goes out, you would use it to save people, scare people, bring them to faith in Jesus Christ so they never have to go to this place. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're in a discussion of what is hell actually like, what it's like for one that's in hell. We began it last week, and we're in the process of bringing out 22 facts, and last week we went over three facts about hell. It's a place of torment. It's a place of agony. It's a place of very real consciousness. A person who is in hell is very conscious of the fact that they are in hell. A person who is in hell is very conscious of the fact of what is happening. They obviously have some type of body that is able to experience the horrors that are there in hell. They have memories of their family that are still alive. They have also the realization that they're not going to be able to escape. They have to live in eternity with a burden for the fact that they don't want to see other people come to hell. They want them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so they don't go there, and they also apparently remember the fact that they've rejected the word of God. They've rejected that. Now, I want to go to the fourth revealed fact we have about hell. Some of these things we covered a little bit when we went through some of the teachings of the Lord Jesus, who is the one who gives us the greatest amount of detail about this place. He's the one who designed it. He's in a position to analyze it and discuss it, but it's a place of darkness, and I want to Go back to that point, and I'd have you go to Matthew 25.30. And the text in Matthew 25.30 says, Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The outer darkness into the darkness, the outer darkness. Now that word for darkness is a place that is talking about a darkness to the point like one is blind. And I want to show you a context where that very word is used that brings that point out. So just keep your finger in Matthew here and go over to Acts chapter 13 for just a second. Acts chapter 13. And I want to draw your attention to verse 11. And I want you to notice the context of where the word is used. Same word for darkness. In Acts 13, 11, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness, and there's our word, fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. So this is a darkness that is like a blindness. That's how dark it is. Now what's interesting and what's sad is that Places that promote sin feature bright lights. In fact, if you have a place called Sin City, and there are places that are referred to as Sin City, what they're known for is their bright lights. It's just interesting that the antithesis is true in eternity. 
Because sin eternity is a place of total, total darkness. It's a very dark place. There's absolutely no light. It's like blindness. The only thing we can say in what we saw concerning the consciousness of one there last time is that apparently he could look up, at least at that point he could look up, and he would be able to see Abraham's bosom, obviously something in the light. I'm not sure that's even still possible today for somebody who's in hell. Remember, when the rich man and Lazarus dies, it's before Jesus Christ goes to the cross. So what you have here is you have these people that are going into Abraham's bosom, pre-cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and people going into hell, pre-cross work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once Christ has gone to the cross and he's paid the price for salvation, I'm not sure anymore if people that are in that place of hell can actually look up and see things. I'm not sure that the scripture doesn't address that. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ descended, and I'm not sure what he did when he descended down there, except made a triumphant display of himself to those that were in Abraham's bosom. And while he was down there, he may have made a display of himself as the light of the world to those that were burning in hell. But after he rose from the dead, I'm not certain anymore that they have the ability to even see things. But regardless of whether or not that's true, the fact of the matter is this is a place of darkness. So people are burning in fire and they're in this place of darkness where it's like they're blind. Now the fifth revealed fact is it's a place where people weep. And it's a place where people gnash their teeth, so it's not a happy place at all. There's no joy there. There's no joy in hell. There's no party atmosphere in hell. People are in a sad state, and there will be a continual crying and weeping. Now, the binding of the teeth, and we've referred to this already, it's brugmas, which refers to an intense biting and grinding of teeth at a very rapid rate. My suspicion is, they're probably doing that because there's no water. My suspicion is they're grinding their teeth, trying to perhaps get some type of saliva. We know that one drop of water on the tip of someone's finger would quench a thirst. So probably this action of gnashing teeth is due to the fact that there's absolutely no water whatsoever, which is a point we'll bring out in a little while. Now, the sixth revealed fact is it is a place of torment forever and ever. Now, I want you to notice verse 41 of Matthew 25, if you're open there, because I want you to see this. In Matthew 25, 41, we read, then he will also say to those in his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. So he calls it there the eternal fire. But then, when you go to the book of Revelation, and let's go over there to just a couple of passages in Revelation, chapter 14, it's like he ups the ante of the fire and the torment. I mean, he says there it's eternal fire. But then when you get to Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. So now he takes it from eternal to forever and ever. Flip over to chapter 19 and verse 3. And the second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Again, they're stressing forever and ever. And then in chapter 20 and verse 10, 
And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, why would you use the Ionas Ionon, forever and ever, when you've already said it's eternal, and you're using the same word Ionion for eternal? Why would you use the repetition of forever and ever when you already said it's eternal? And the only conclusion I can draw from this is the Lord is revealing once a person is in this place, it is a forever place, it is a forever and ever place, and there's no chance of the destiny or the location ever changing. There's no possibility of any type of relocation. When you're stressing it's eternal, that's enough to do it right there. But then when you up the ante on this thing and say it's forever and ever, now you're taking it to a level where you're saying no matter what happens in eternity, eternity of the future, no matter what happens, the person who is in this place of torment is never going to get out. They're never going to escape. They're there forever and ever. And it's driving home the fact there's no chance in all eternity of that reality ever changing. What a sober thought that is for someone to go to this place and actually they never have a chance of getting out. Now the seventh revealed fact is a place where there's no rest either day or night. I want you to go to chapter 14 in Revelation. This is an interesting statement. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Now, the word that is used there for no rest means that there's never a relaxation of the tension. There's no rest. There's no relief. There's no refreshment. There's no temporary break in the affliction. In fact, the word that is used there for rest is a particular Greek word that was used. You had a string instrument, and then you take the tension off the string instrument to just relax the strings a little bit so you don't warp the frets, as it were, because if you leave it tight all the time and you never take the tension off the strings, you can just keep that thing, and it can actually ruin the instrument. So when he uses that particular word, what he is basically saying is a person in hell is in continual torture and torment day and night, and there will never be a time where it lets up. There will never be a moment where the pressure of that will be off, where it will not be torment, where it would just ease up a little bit. There's never going to be a point in time for one in hell where one is going to be able to have any relief from being in hell. I'm telling you, this is serious business here when statements are made like that in the scriptures. And then the eighth fact is, it is a place of fire. It is a place of fire. And it's a place of fire, and the noun fire is a literal fire. That's what it means. And first of all, it's a place of unquenchable fire. I want to take you back to two passages, one in Matthew and one in Mark. I'd like you to go back to Matthew chapter 3. And I find it very, very intriguing in these passages what is stated. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, we read, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, he's talking about those who 
ultimately are going to reject him and they're going to be burned up with unquenchable fire. Now what's interesting is if you back up to verse 10, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. It's interesting that he uses an analogy in the discussion of the fact that he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire he uses an analogy of what you do to a tree that's cut down, that doesn't bear fruit, you burn it in the fire. Now, why is he doing that? Because he's stressing the fact, we're talking about literal fire here. Literal fire. Now, go over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9, he's discussing those that haven't kept the law perfectly and he's trying to show that they're all guilty and they're heading to hell if they don't come to faith in him that will give them a righteousness to get them into heaven. And in Mark 9 verse 43, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. There's the concept right there. And you'll notice verse 48 where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, in the same context, back up to verse 22. It is often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, this is a guy whose son was involved in being demon-possessed. And the demons were throwing this boy into fire and water. The dad is telling him this is what has happened to him. He's talking about a literal fire that he would be thrown into and literal water. That's what he's talking to. So when you go down in the context and then you have the Lord Jesus discussing the fact that people that are not in a right relationship with him are going to be cast into a place of unquenchable fire. It's the word asbesto, from which we get our English word asbestos, which means you can't extinguish it. It is a literal fire that's burning and people are in it. That's what he's saying. It's literal fire. So these people that say, oh, it's just symbolism. It's symbolism of suffering. No, it isn't. It's literal fire. And the context uses analogies and illustrations that prove it's literal fire. So when someone goes to hell, they are in a literal fire and they are literally burning. Now, the second reality is this place is called a furnace of fire. A furnace of fire. Now, I want you to go to Matthew 13. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out the kingdom of all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Drop down to verse 50, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now he calls it a furnace of fire. A furnace is an area that's a contained area that is where you have a fire burning. That's what a furnace is. You know that. That's what a furnace is. A furnace is a place where you have, I guess we could say, boundary limits where the furnace is located, and then you have things that go in the furnace and burn. Now, the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ is using that particular word furnace is because that's what hell is. It is a place, it's a place, obviously a large place, but it's a place that has boundary limits that he's designed and people in there are in that furnace and the people in that furnace are literally burning. Now the fourth place of fire, it's identified as a lake of fire. And I find that's intriguing in Revelation 20. 
Revelation 20 and verse 14 and 15, we read these words. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, it doesn't say a river, a river of fire. And why is he saying we're throwing them at this point into the lake of fire? I am convinced because this is located in a stationary place like a lake. There is a river of fire that flows by the throne of God And maybe the river of fire flows them into the lake. I don't know. It could very well be. But when he refers to this place, he's calling it a lake of fire. Why is he calling it a lake of fire? Because it has stationary boundaries and there's no change of location here. A river flows and changes location. And it's long. Calling it a lake means, in the mind of God, this is a stationary place that has boundaries like a lake would have. And it's a massive, obviously, place. And in that lake is nothing but fire burning. And so this is the place that is described as a place of fire. It's unquenchable fire. It's a furnace of fire. It's an eternal fire. That was number three. An eternal fire, which means it's without end. The fire doesn't end. Fourthly, it's the lake of fire. It has boundaries. And then it's called the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. In Revelation 20 and verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. The word brimstone is thalon in Greek. That particular word talks about a sulfur type of chemical burning. You know, you have when you light a match, you've got sulfur kind of on the end of a match. That's kind of the thing that starts the flame that's involved in the flame, and that's the word that's used here. So it's the chemical part of burning. I mean, the language here, unquenchable fire, it's literal fire. You can't put it out. You can't extinguish it. It's a furnace, so it's burning at hot intensity. It's eternal, which means it's without end. It's forever. It's a lake, so it has boundaries, and it has a chemical burning to it. It's a sulfuric place that it just doesn't quit. It just burns and burns and burns. And that's the description we get in the scriptures of hell. I'm not the one putting these things in the word of God. God put them in the word. Jesus Christ is the one who certainly gave us the bulk of descriptions of this place. It's horrible. It's horrible. And for people to play some type of eternal Russian roulette with their life and not turning to the Lord Jesus Christ to escape this place, they're fools. They're just absolute fools. Because if you die without trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where you go. Now, the ninth fact that's revealed in the scriptures is is a place of black darkness. That's brought out. Let's see. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you would. 2 Peter chapter 2. If it's not enough to just use the word darkness, that's the blind type of darkness, In 2 Peter chapter 2, and you'll notice in verse 17, these are springs without water. These are talking about people who weren't right with the Lord. They weren't saved. They were false prophets propagating false things. And he's talking about where they're headed in 2 Peter 2.17. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Now, I don't know when you've already used the words for darkness, and it's a darkness that is like a blind person, so you can't see anything, why you now refer to it as a black darkness, but I can tell you this, 
Someone that is in this place of hell is not able to see anything. I mean, they are in a dark, gloomy state of existence, like they're blind. And they're not lit up and having a party, like people would try to want you to think we're going to hell. It's going to be a big party atmosphere. That's not it at all. We're describing here a very scary place, a burning that is very dark and gloomy, and it's obviously a deep darkness. That just keeps being reiterated by the writers of the scriptures, that this is a deep, deep darkness so people can't see. Now, there's another thing that's brought out here, a couple of facts brought out, that one who's in this place is in a place of everlasting disgrace and shame. I'd like you to go to Daniel chapter 12. This is a most interesting thing to think through in Daniel chapter 12. Now, in verse 2 we read, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Everlasting life, the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. I want to talk about that word disgrace that is used there in verse 2 because the people who are in hell are going to be despised. They're going to be despised. And that's what that word disgrace means. The people who are in hell are going to be scorned. People who are in hell are not going to be viewed as proud heroes. In fact, they're going to be viewed, especially at this judgment that's going to occur, as just being despised people. Now, the 11th fact, in the same context, it's a place of everlasting contempt. Verse 2 says they will be in disgrace and also everlasting contempt. And I understand that particular word to mean they're going to be viewed as an abomination, as a shameful abomination. In other words, the fact that they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that they rejected the word of God, and they made a mockery of the things of the Lord, they're going to reach a point when they are going to go into this place of eternity, and for all eternity they will be viewed as a big zero. I don't care who the person was, what position they held in this world, when they leave this earth and they go into hell, they're going to be viewed as just a shameful, disgraced, despised, scorned abomination. Now these people today just walk around proud as peacocks. I mean, they just walk around this earth like they're on top of the world. That all changes the moment that soul leaves their body. And the people who are going into hell are never going to be viewed again in a high, mighty way that they were while they were here on earth. They're going to be viewed in scorn in the way that they were. Now, the twelfth fact that's brought out about them is a place of eternal destruction. Now, I want you to see that in 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we'll start reading at verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The word destruction there is a word that means they will be in eternal ruin, eternal death, eternal destruction. It's a word that means there's no possibility of restoration. There's no possibility of repentance. There's no possibility of improvement. 
They're going to literally suffer. Once they leave here, it's eternal. They're in eternal destruction. They're in hell. They're burning, and they're burning there forever, and they're not going to get out. They're not going to change their place of residency. The 13th fact that's revealed right there in 2 Thessalonians 1.9 is that they do not have the presence of God. Literally, verse 9 says, and they are away from the presence of God, literally away from the presence and face of God. Now, I don't care who the person is in this world, and I don't care what they've done. I don't care how powerful they may be or how godless they may be. The fact of the matter is, no one alive has ever been in a situation where they can say, I'm out from the presence of God. So we don't even know the full ramifications of this. Because all people on this earth that are alive are in the presence of God. What Paul is revealing here is once a person who hasn't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ goes into hell, they are away from the presence of God. Now, that would certainly explain why there's no light. It would certainly explain why it's total black darkness that they're in because they're away from the presence of God. We don't even know the full ramifications of what that means. But obviously, it is a horrible situation to be in. Then, the 14th fact is it is a place that does not have any reflection of God's glory. In verse 9, away from the presence of God and from the glory of his power. We've never been in such a place. We have never been in such a place where there was nothing that reflected the glory of God. Just think of that. Nothing. I mean, we see the glory of God on display. Light comes and goes every 12 hours. There it is. The sun, the moon, the stars, there's the glory of God. These animals that are running around, there's the glory of God. We see creation every time we turn around. Just imagine being in a place forever where there's no reflection at all of the glory of God. And that's what Paul's just saying here. People who are in this place do not have any reflection of the glory of God. Well, I'm going to have to stop here tonight because our time is gone. But I'll tell you, you go down through these things and it is a, it's a scary proposition for someone to reject the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and end up in hell. And if you get into discussions with people about this, you can always just revert back to what's your opinion about hell, and you can just say to them, well, I think I'll stick with what the Lord Jesus Christ taught, because he's proven to be true in everything he's ever said, and if what he's saying is true, you have much to fear if you do not trust him as Savior. Well, thank you for coming tonight. Any questions about this tonight? Yes? Um, I have a problem with this place of darkness Everything is dark, but then we have a lake of fire, we have a furnace, we have uh, unquenchable fire, a place of fire. Fire is light. You can see fire. You can see flame. So where's the darkness? Well, two things. Number one, a fire that burns gets very dark. We had that a few weeks ago and we looked at that. A fire starts with light, but then it can burn very, very dark. You can't even see. Firemen have said that. And number two... God, who has designed this place, has designed this place with a fire that you obviously can't see. I have no problem saying that. God's the one who made it. It's a place of punishment, so that fire is going to burn, and obviously it's dark. The God who designed that is certainly capable of designing fire like that.
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. But I think, you know, just we'll stick with what the scriptures say. It's a place of horrible darkness. And again, you know, if it's a place like you're blind, then it wouldn't matter whatever is burning. You wouldn't see it. That's certainly part of what could be the judgment. It's a good question. We've got a tremendous day planned Sunday in Romans and in Nahum. And so Thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.